Welcome to All Things Sleep and Parenting. I'm Pam. And I'm Elisa. We are holistic infant and child sleep consultants with a background in early childhood education. And we're the founders of Restful Parenting. And I'm Heidi. I'm also an early childhood educator and the owner of Blossom Early Learning. Join us as we chat all things sleep, parenting, development, and everything in between. Be sure to hit subscribe and share with your friends and family. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. I think this is going to be an episode, I think, I feel like I say this every episode, but I do feel like this is going to be an episode that you're really going to like, because this week we're talking about illness and sleep. Oh, getting sick and trying to manage sleep and all of that stuff. So we're going to jump into that. Hi, everybody. I am Pam. And as always, I have with me Miss Lisa. Hello. Thanks for joining us again. So like we said, this time we're going to be talking about our little ones getting sick. You know, last year being our first kind of winter with COVID, we didn't really have a whole lot of illnesses. There wasn't a whole lot of like just the general cold. Everybody was inside. So even Elisa and I just working with our families, we didn't experience a whole lot of those illnesses. But uh, this year we definitely are. Uh, Even within my own family, we're getting... I kicked with these colds and stuff as, as is everyone else. So one of the biggest questions we get around this time of the year is how do I protect sleep? How do I encourage sleep? How do I not get stuck in this awful sleep loop after they've recovered and what to do while they're sick? So we're just going to kind of go through that step by step. So the first thing is you always want to determine how bad the illness is first. Usually when it's your little one's first cold, they might be a little bit more pitiful than they will be, you know, in a year's time when they get another cold or if they've had four colds or something. You can usually just judge how they are. But when you have taught your little one how to fall asleep independently, you really want to try not to go back too many steps if you don't have to. So like that's a lot of taking into consideration what their day is looking like, right? If if they're eating, if they're able to get down and play for a little bit, if they're managing, like they're coping in life, then we know that we don't have to give everything in terms of all of that support and and really trying to like you know bring them into our bed to get them to sleep like you know we can kind of keep things status quo maybe a little extra support if they need it but typically if they're managing our goal is to keep them on schedule because that's another big question do I let them sleep longer they seem to have a little bit of a runny nose do should I let them sleep longer or they seem to be you know, really struggling and falling asleep here and there, what should I do? So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit, Elisa. So do you let them sleep longer? That is that question, like Pam said, that we often get. And the answer to that is it really depends on how sick your child is. And it depends on their temperament as well a little bit, because some little ones will be able to have an off track day when it comes to their schedule and sleep a little bit longer and then still sleep at night. But there does come a time when they are really sick and you're noticing that they're not eating, they're not playing, they're just wanting to be in your arms all day. They're super lethargic and they may be just crying the whole time. At that point in time, the schedule just kind of goes out the window for that day. Because there's nothing you can do about that. Your child is just feeling so unwell. Perhaps they have a really high fever or they're just really sick. And you just need to kind of get through that day. You need to get them through that day. And if they're medicated or not medicated, 
Um, maybe their medication is running out and you just need to wait a little bit longer to give them medication that might not go well with the schedule that you have set. So you just kind of do whatever you have to do. You let them fall asleep whenever they will. And chances are, if they're that sick, they're most likely going to be up that night anyways. And it might mean that bedtime might be a little bit later because they napped way later in the day than usual, or maybe they're only on one nap, but that day they had like three micro naps. So, so it throws their night off a little bit. And in those circumstances, you just do what you have to. But the key here is that that really usually only lasts a day or two where in, they're in that really acute phase of that illness. So you're doing what you have to for a couple of days and then you're getting them right back. Like once you see day three, okay, they're playing a little bit now, they're eating a little bit, they're not as sick as they were on that first day. So now we're back on track with the schedule and that's your first place to really work on getting back on track. If you, mm-hmm, absolutely. If your child just has a little cold, like a little bit of the sniffles, maybe they're feeling a little bit more unwell than usual, then you can still stick on track with your regular schedule as much as possible. Because the challenge there is if you say, okay, they're just feeling a little unwell, I'm going to let them sleep for three hours this morning. What's going to happen is they're going to sleep for three hours in the morning, and then they're probably not going to sleep again for the rest of the day. And then you've got a child who is overtired come bedtime and overtired and a little bit under the weather really doesn't go well together. (laughs) So it's going to set you up for a rougher night when it didn't really have to be. So you want to still keep your schedule on track if they're just mildly sick and if they are coping for the most part, coping. Yeah, absolutely. So we chatted a little bit about that support. So then how do we know? Now we've kind of broken our illnesses up to kind of like that mildly ill, getting over it or just starting versus like that acute phase of like they're really unwell. So how do we work around our support that way? What, what should that look like then? Again, it depends greatly on the severity of the illness. So let's say your little one just has some sniffles. They're feeling under the weather. Maybe they're not as active as they usually are. They're a little bit more wanting to be held more than usual and not coping as well as they usually do in life. In that circumstance, you are going to go through your your pre-sleep routine just as you normally would. And you would just put them down as you normally would and see what they do because we don't want, this is for, for babies who have learned how to fall asleep on their own. So if you've done sleep coaching already, you don't want to go and rush back in there and just rock them to sleep when they really didn't need it to begin with. My goal when I chat with my families is always try and get away with the smallest amount possible. If you're not sure if your little one needs extra support, but you're not sure, I kind of ladder it, right? Be hands-on. So maybe you're shushing and you're patting a little bit more versus feeding them. Maybe you are holding them versus bringing them into your room or you're, you know, rocking them and then getting them back into the crib instead of bringing them into your bed. So you're always trying to get away instead of just kind of like, oh, they're sick. They have to be in my bed. And sometimes you do like that does happen. I've had numerous children who, you know, I've had to monitor their breathing at night, sitting upright on oh, me. Of course. So that will happen that you'll bring them back into your bed when you need to. But we don't want to set that precedent when it's like, achoo, sniffle, sniffle, a cough. We're in your bed. You're in my bed. And now I'm holding you to sleep. 
Yes, exactly. So the goal is always try to get away with as minimal as you can. So always start small because chances are even just that extra support on the side of the crib, rubbing their back and shushing would be enough versus feeding them versus rocking them and holding them to sleep versus bringing them into your bed. Yeah. And what you can do in that circumstance is mild cold. You do your routine as usual, put them into their bed, maybe pat, 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 leave the room as you normally would. If you really see that their upset is very different than it usually is, like maybe if your little one normally has a couple of minutes of protesting before they fall asleep because they're like, hey, I don't want to go to sleep. You are going to see a great difference in that. I don't want to go to sleep versus like, I'm feeling unwell and I just need Mm -hmm. you right now. Right. So you wait and see if, if they're just doing their regular little one minute of of like, I don't want to go to sleep. And then they're just quietly falling asleep. You don't need to really do anything at that point. But if you notice that the upset is a lot more of that emotional upset, then you can go in and pat, like Pam said, be hands Mm -hmm. on, be in the room, be hands on without necessarily going straight to picking them up and rocking them to sleep because chances are, that little bit of padding is going to be enough and your presence there is going to be enough for them to fall asleep. And then you're sidestepping. You're not really taking that many steps back. Exactly. Now, if you haven't taught independent sleep, because that's a little bit different, right? Sleep coaching, when we have little ones that know how to fall asleep and our goal, my goal with teaching independent sleep is we have great sleep. We get hit with maybe an illness or traveling Um, but that's like a little bit of a bump. So we sleep takes a little bit of a hit, but we have those skills. So we get back on track again, once they're through that illness, the challenge with not knowing or not having those skills yet to fall asleep on their own is that sleep may not be great. It kind of may not be awesome. Um, so then you kind of have crappy sleep. You hit a bump, you go into like really crappy sleep. And then it's a lot harder to come out of that really crappy sleep that can take a lot longer that can you know prolong things um and it's hard to kind of get back to where you were at that instance because now there's just too much going on they don't know what's expected of them too many things are different so having that skill of learning how to fall asleep you know Elisa and I are sleep consultants so of course we're going to be encouraging that so having that skill of learning how to fall asleep independently is going to help them through all of these bumps you have those tools to get them back on track they have the skills of knowing how to do it. So the difference of having that skill on board versus not really does make a difference when you hit these bumps. I always like to say that when you have sleep on board prior to travel or illness, it's more like a speed bump in the road when they get sick versus a full on pothole. So much better the speed bump versus the pothole. So that's our goal because we know that sleep is going to hit. It's going to hit a bump of sorts, right? Whether it's a speed bump or a pothole, that's dependent on your little one's skills, but it is going to be that bump for sure. Now let's talk about those illnesses that are really bad. I mean, like you said, Pam, we've both had those types of illnesses in our household. Oh, absolutely. We've been hospitalized. We've been ambulance taken away in ambulance because of breathing. Like we've done it all. So yeah, yeah, there there, are illnesses. There were nights where I had to sit upright in a chair and sit by the open window because my kids couldn't breathe because of croup, right? Like all the two like throw a blanket and coats over you and you're sitting out on the front porch at two in the morning to try and get them to breathe and 
standing right. by the open windows and yeah, sitting so upright. Those are the circumstances, you know, or strep throat or, oh gosh, oh. there was one really bad hand, foot and mouth that both of my kids had. Somehow they've, they've had hand, foot and mouth like three or four times each, I think. Gosh. But two of those times for each of them were really, really terrible. They had those kinkers in their mouths and- oh. Honestly, it was like I had to hold them all day long and all night long. I oh. could not even put them down because they were so in like in so much pain. Just, and it was those illnesses where, you know, they're on both Tylenol and, and Advil. And then as soon as one of the medications started to run out, you could see a difference. And oh gosh, just awful. So in those circumstances, you are not going to most likely not going to be able to put your baby into their crib for them to fall asleep on their own. I mean, I would try it for sure. Give it a shot, but you're not going to do any kind of sleep coaching or sleep teaching in those moments where they're super sick like that. So just all bets are out the window in those circumstances. And just know that the acute phase of that illness only lasts a few days. Yes. It's not going to become super ingrained in your child who was previously doing really well, falling asleep on their own. It's not going to be super ingrained in them right away that, oh, now I get held to sleep. It's you're doing what you have to do to help them through that illness. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. Confessions of a sleep consultant right here. (laughs) With those major illnesses that we have had, where my children are just crying, like that, that episode with hand, foot and mouth, where my son was probably 11 months old. And the only thing that would give him a little bit of relief was a little bit of water or milk being kind of poured into his mouth. So he just hung out at my breast day and night. And I'm not going to lie at two o'clock in the morning when he was super miserable and his both his medications were running out and I was waiting for them to kick back in after I gave them. We were sitting in front of the TV with some kind of like little baby bum on or something singing and whatever. Like I just did whatever I had to do. You go into survival. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it, what was better me sitting in front of the TV that was somewhat helping him a tiny bit, take his mind off of this or sitting with him in a dark room with him just screaming and crying because he was in so much pain, right? So, and the thing is, the thing is here though, is you know that it's a night or two. This isn't now going, yes. you're not going to allow it to become a nightly thing. So, even if he's like, oh, hey, mom, it's two o'clock, you know, three nights later, five nights later, it's two o'clock. We're going to go watch TV. If he's pointing to leave the room, if he wants to go to the living room, that's where you're like, no, we're through this, like, uh, you know, it may be five nights later or whatever, but you're through the thick of it. So we put a stop to those things. In that circumstance, for me, it was only one night that I had to do that. And then the other nights he was feeling, you know, not better, but he was tolerating the illness more. So you were able to do less and less. And that's the key. If we, if we continue to offer everything that we've offered, they're going to continue to ask for it and want it. It doesn't matter if they're seven months old or if they are five years old with Alexa Alexa got sick one time this is probably like the one story I remember the most from her with being sick was 
Um, so the first few times she really hated having her nose plugged. Uh, so I would go in and I would, you know, help her wipe her nose. Maybe she was three. I would help her wipe her nose and, you know, hey, good night, go back to sleep. And then we were probably, you know, about five days in, four or five days in, maybe four days in. And she was like, okay, I'm just going to leave the Kleenex here and I'll just call you when I need you to come blow my nose. And I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you, you can blow your nose now. Here you go. Here's your box of Kleenex. Here's your garbage. You don't need to call me to come and blow your nose. You can do that now. Right. So like we have to bring that down because otherwise she would have continued to call me to blow her nose. I mean, she's three months now. later, she still three yeah, months exactly. later, she would have, she would have still had a sniffly nose because if it's going to get you back in there to engage with her and blow her nose, then it's still <laughs> yeah. going to be there three months later. Yeah. It really does come down to our steps, right? We offer the support that they need during that illness. And it's going to be different. Your first child versus your fourth child, their first, you know, three illnesses, those first two, three fevers, those ones are going to be more stressful. Those ones you're probably going to be doing a little bit more support. You're just not sure because it's the first time you've gone through it or the first few times you've gone through it. There's going to be a little more stress and anxiety around it. But as you continue to go through your winters and it's cold after cold, after cold, after cold, you're going to get the hang of things and you're going to be able to see like, okay, this is on the scale of their illnesses. This is a three versus a nine. I only have to do this much extra support. I don't have to do all of that extra support. But regardless, if they're a little bit sick, if it's the first illnesses, it always, always, always comes back down to what you do after the illness has passed. Once they're feeling better, how we get back on track. And that is the golden ticket. We are the ones who have to put our foot down after that illness happens, we have to set those limits because otherwise they will continue to want what we have potentially given them for the few days that they were sick. So the time that I had to hold my son for three nights because he had croup and he couldn't breathe. And we were kind of like in and out of the hospital to get those treatments or whatever on that third night or the fourth night, whenever I was ready to get him back on track, because I saw during the day that he was coping. And Mm -hmm. if I would send him to childcare, to extracurricular activities, that's a pretty good indication that they are ready to start working on sleep again and to get things back on track. You can see their behavior changing during the day. So the breathing was better. The behavior during the day, he was able to play a little bit by himself. He was able to eat a little bit and all those kinds of things. He wasn't as needy. And that for me is my big indication that, okay, it's time to get things back on track before this turns into something that becomes a little bit more ingrained in him and that he wants every single night. Yeah. They're not just going to stop. They're not just going to be like, okay, I'm good now. I don't need you to come in seven times a night. Like they're like, Ooh, this is a new thing. I can have you in here seven times a night. Cool. How do I keep this? Like they are not just going to drop that on their own. They like, you have to take those reins and start moving towards that independent sleep again. Yeah. Some babies might, they might just go right back on track, but if not, then it's really important to remember that you are the one who can now set those limits again. And give them those clear limits and boundaries that you once had established. Mm -hmm. And so what do you do now? So that night comes along, you're ready to get back on track. What do you do? You want to make sure that 
you're working backwards again. So let's say you were holding them for three nights. Well, maybe you're going to spend one night right beside their bed and you're going to offer them a little bit more padding, a little bit more support from you. Or if you're doing leaving in the room and checking in, maybe you're doing frequent check-ins at first for that first night when usually they were able to just put themselves to sleep. Now they're calling out for you a little bit more and you can go back in more frequently for a little bit more support. And then on that second night, you want to make sure that you're offering less support. And then the third night, you're back on track or you're offering even less support so that the fourth night you're back on track. So you really don't want it to take super long to get them back on track. You want to work off of, first of all, how many steps back did you have to take while they were sick? If you just did a sidestep and they were just a little sniffly and you just kind of stayed in the room with them for a little bit longer, patting them, well, then chances are by that third night, you're just going to get right back to leaving the room and, and they will fall asleep on their own. But if you had to go back a few more steps and they were in your bed, or perhaps you were holding them in a chair or something like that, then that's when you're going to take a few nights to just do more that first night, but it's back into their cribs. You're not holding them again to sleep. You're just putting them back into their cribs. You're offering more support in the form of touch or intervention. And then second night, less intervention. So maybe you're at the the middle of the room or you're at the door and you're just going to them and offering them intermittent support and intervention. And then that third night you're back on track, or perhaps you're doing a little bit more frequent check-ins. They will be back on track by then, as long as you're really consistent with what you're implementing and how you're implementing it afterwards. Absolutely. Perfect. Elisa. Now, if that feels very daunting and hard, or you're just not sure the steps that you need to take or what's going on, you know that that's something that you can reach out info at restfulparenting.com and uh, we will get back to you. But that is definitely something that we can help you guys figure out as well. Because we don't, like we said in the beginning, we don't want this to be months and months of regression, of lack of sleep, of off sleep now. Especially if we've had great sleepers, we want to get back there. And if you don't have a great sleeper yet, again, that's something that you can reach out to us for restfulparenting.com. And we can set up a free 15-minute call and try and get that sleep on track before all these illnesses hit. Yeah. And sometimes it just feels so overwhelming when you've hit a regression, when you've hit those back steps and you're just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to get out of this. I don't know how to get back on track. That is when having a set plan. So whether you write it out yourself of what you're going to do, knowing that you can do it somewhat gradually, but you still want to make those changes quickly enough that your child isn't left wondering if there's another way for them, they are going to naturally have a little bit more kickback on that first night because, well, you know what, you were holding me in this chair for four nights and now I want that back again. I want that to happen again. So naturally they are going to have a little bit more to say to you about you setting the limit again, but as long as you are consistent, they will come out of it. It can feel very overwhelming in the moment, but you well, can absolutely because, do it. Especially because you're exhausted and you've been up for nights and you've had a little one who has been crying and in your arms during the day. So as much as we want that great sleep to be back on track for your little one, 
you you also need it as well so take that into consideration as you're doing that and like lisa said you absolutely can do it i mean it's not just for them it's for you as well because to be the parent that you want to be you need to give yourself that chance to be able to recover from those illnesses and even if you have a really persistent child you can still do it speaking from absolutely. somebody who has a really <laughs> persistent child i got him out of that every single time that he was right just by my consistency and by my setting limits again with confidence it really does make a very big difference well thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode this week i hope that those tips offer you some help for if and when your little one does get <laughs> sick, hopefully, fingers crossed, your children know, stay crossed, well and healthy yeah. all year, every single year. But yes. realistically, it's bound to happen that children get sick, and that is what helps build their immune system. So it has um, to happen. But we hope that you can listen to this podcast and get things back on track. And if not, like Pam said, info at restfulparenting.com, and we are here to help you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We so appreciate that you've taken that time to come and hang out with us and listen to what we have to say. If you are struggling with sleep or parenting, please know that we have loads of free information on the website um, as well as on the YouTube channel. But if after you've read through everything and you've watched those videos, if you're still struggling, know that you're not alone and that we would love to help. So be sure to check out the website, www.restfulparenting.com. You'll find the link to book your free 15-minute call right there. And if you have any comments or anything you'd like to share with us, please leave them below in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks.